Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Scott. And I am Maddie. And welcome to this week's episode of the Harder Way Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the relationship between calling and having a resilient faith. That's a great topic. It's a really important topic. And you actually studied this, did research on this when you were doing your doctoral work. So I thought you might like to take our listeners through some of that great research that you did. Well, thanks. This is this is interesting because I wasn't really sure what I was looking for when I did my doctoral research. So let me mm-hmm. give you a little bit about what I did and just kind of explain the process. Yeah. So I was... I. Over the years, I had encountered a lot of pastors in the persecuted church who, despite setbacks, despite despite having been imprisoned, despite mm-hmm. losses, despite not having enough money, despite being hungry, despite, and all of those kinds of things, yeah. the government telling them they're leeches on society and telling mm-hmm. the communities that, telling lies about them, imprisoning them, all those things. All the horrible things you can imagine happen <clears throat> under restriction. Yeah, and even the ones that are a little bit less horrible that you don't think about very often. All this, The whole gambit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's it's like a dripping, a dripping faucet. It doesn't bother you at first, but after a while, that drip yeah, will make you lose your you mind. Yeah, drive you insane. It's the same thing with persecution. Persecution is a drip most mm. of the time. And it's yeah. just a constant thing, that religious restriction, the oppression of the government, and it wears you down. So some of these folks are actually quite resilient. They don't give up. They don't quit. And they don't have any plans to quit. And they've had opportunities to walk away, and they haven't Chose taken Chose not them. to. So your research was really focused on <clears throat> trying to figure out what it was that made these pastors be resilient despite just the the awful circumstances in which they're were living and are living currently. Right. And so there's virtually no research done on um, resilience in persecuted pastors mm. or even a yeah, persecuted just Christians. Just in general, yeah. Um, so my so my study goes qualitative and rather than quantitative because and, and to those of you that know you know what that means. And that's because there was virtually no literature to draw from. I had to draw from other fields in order to do my research. And I started off in the secular field of psychology and in resilience studies in in that field. Because that was pretty much all that was written on resilience was from that secular perspective. Right. And so I just read a massive amount of scholarly research, you know, peer-reviewed journals on and, and the latest and greatest stuff on people who demonstrate resilience and have positive outcomes, whether it's from a heart attack or they, the ones that have positive outcomes post some kind of horrible social trauma or, you know, being, being in war, being abused, things like that. Right? All that kind of stuff, yeah. mugged on a subway, whatever yeah. it is, right? And so I found some commonalities there and I just observed those and then I but I didn't go too deep into it because I didn't want to be too tainted in my research I just mm, wanted yeah, to kind of that's important are there things that contribute to resilience I got a solid yes 
So then I went and I had to determine what does it mean to be a resilient pastor? And so I developed a criteria for what it meant to be resilient, went to the persecuted church, and I spent time going all over the place. And I I met with about 30 different pastors. Wow. And all but one of them met my criteria. And the one that was pretty amazing. The one that was excluded was excluded because he had become political. Mm. And we, and I, and that was an exclusion. Uh, yeah. criteria so we, men- we mentioned last week in last week's episode the importance of of not becoming political and yeah. that being a an incorrect response to restriction and persecution right and then that was to me that was demonstrating a lack of resilience and it, it could have very negative consequences down the road for himself and for the church yeah sadly so so i dug into that and then once I uh, uh, I took all of their all of the interviews and I I just kind of did very casual interviews. I took all of that information, and I had I think when I time by the time that I typed it all up, I had two hundred and thirty pages of notes. Wow, just of raw material. Then I took all of that and I used qualitative analysis to go through and find patterns in their responses. So what are the commonalities, basically? Right, are the commonalities yeah. okay? And the biggest one was community. <laughs> but the second biggest one... <laughs> <laughs> you paused there, and I, I was... I, for all of our listeners, I was thinking, oh, I think we're going to have to stop this recording because right. he m- misspoke. No, but the second biggest one... the first was one, community. Second, second biggest a, a close finisher was calling. And um, I, was, I was kind of surprised by that because, yeah. you know, teaching in a Bible college, I get a lot of... You know, guys that come in, they're 18 years old, and they're all called to be what? Youth pastors. Youth pastors. <laughs> they're, all, they're all called to be youth pastors. And and then there's a few that feel like they're called to be pastors to pastors. Mm, and so we, yeah. put them on the nar- we, we put them on the narcissism <laughs> protocol, yeah. try to get them straightened out real quick. Yeah. Because like, kid, you may be a pastor to pastors, but that's about 30 years down the road. Mm-hmm. And so we appreciate your thoughts, but uh, right, keep them to yourself and learn something. And there were, th- <laughs> were three other categories that you observed as well, the commonalities, right? And those were? Uh, really a, a, a redefined understanding of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a great dependence upon the uh, providence of God mm-hmm. and a, a a dynamic spiritual life. Wow. Those are all really important. Yeah, we'll have and, great, great conversations about them. Yes. We're going to do episodes on each of those categories, uh, all of those five characteristics of resilient pastors, people who are able to stay resilient under persecution. Uh, But for the purposes of this week's episode, we're focusing in on that concept of calling. So just to put a button, a little button, uh, not a button, but a little bow around this, the initial part here. When I finished all of my research and I, and I went, did the qualitative analysis and I found these five general categories where all of their responses and all of their kind of general conversations fell into, I went back to the secular literature and I said, are these patterns there as well? Okay. And they were right there. Wow. Yeah. In that's, fact, pretty, that's pretty interesting, actually. So in the psych- world of psychology, they call calling, it's, it's existential aloneness. It's mm. a fancy term, huh? <laughs> calling sounds a little more positive than existential aloneness. Yeah. But it's, it's a little a, dark. But it's really, it's existential aloneness is calling without God. 
Mm. It's that sense who of, wants that? right. There's a set sense of there's something that I've got to do. Like, you know, who's going to take care of little Johnny if I'm gone? Who's going to feed the dog if I'm gone? Yeah. Who, or if I'm not here, who's going to, who's going to, you know, water my plants? Who's going to uh, write this article for the community newspaper whatever it is, that yeah. thing that keeps you going, that gets you out of bed, that takes your mind off of yourself and gets you focused on something more important that's calling. So what does that concept of existential aloneness, or we'll say that concept of calling, what does that look like within the context of uh, pastors and leaders living under restriction and persecution? So for them, it looks like not leaving. Mm. It looks like it, that's the result of it. Yeah. And, 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 and every single one of them, I asked, if you could leave this country, would you? Now I will, and what did they say? Oh, I will tell you that a lot of pastors, when they get the opportunity to leave, they're on. You know, I think they need a good church in America, and they're on the way mm. to America. Yeah. But these guys, each one of them said, "I would not leave because I am called to this place." Wow. So, despite all of the suffering and the persecution and the lack and and not, and being uh, restricted from edu- you know education and career opportunities, restrictions on their kids. Healthcare. And, and and all the yeah. things that you really need and want, those things being held back from you because you're a Christian, despite all of that, despite all the uncertainties that come with living under those circumstances, they said, I would not leave given the opportunity. And since those that those interviews and since that research, some of them have been given the opportunity. Wow. And they, and they still so it's not it's not just talk. Not just hypothetical. Wow. So what you're saying is when these pastors are faced with whether or not to leave for them. The answer has to be to stay because they believe that if they're gone, there's not going to be anybody else to lead their flock, to shepherd their flock. Yeah. That it is a unique calling from God on them and on their lives to do that. Right. That's a powerful thing. Right. And and they were, it was a blessing to me because I now use that as a filter for things I'm doing. Am I called to this? Oh, has God, does God yeah, want me question. to do this? Does, is, is the God put me up to this or did I put me up to this? Because sometimes you really want to quit something. Hmm. And if God puts you up to it, quitting is not an option. Even when you really want to quit. Even when, you really, <laughs> Even when things get really tough. And you can justify it. So but the thing is, we're talking about pastors. and and, and But I think we want, we should expand this to everyone because calling is not the exclusive property of of pastors and it's probably not the thing everybody thinks it is when we apply it more generally right and i know that you know some stuff about this that you're going to share with us so why don't you bring some of that right now yeah so i think that it's really important to realize that there's not just one kind of calling there's not just this 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 one idea of what calling is there are actually three different kinds of calling these are our highest calling our common calling, and our specific calling. And these categories actually come out of something that is called uh, common good Christianity. And this is a concept that's rooted in the study of historic Christianity, particularly in the writings of the Puritans. Uh, But it was really named and systematized in recent history by Sky Jatani. So it's this idea that there are three callings, your highest calling, your common calling, and your specific calling. So we're going to start with our highest calling. 
So when you hear the word highest, I'm sure you're assuming this is the most important one, right? Okay, where's the spiritual gifts inventory come in? (laughs) The spiritual gifts inventory is is not on this. That's not part of the calling? It's not part of this. But how am I going to discover my calling if I don't take a spiritual gifts inventory? I I have feelings on spiritual gifts inventories that we're not going to go into in this episode, so... Okay. Let's, let's move on. Let's, All right, let's keep on. going. Okay. So, so highest calling. Tell highest me about calling. the highest calling. What is that? So it's called highest because it's the most important. There are two parts. Uh, it means unity with Christ and communion with God. Okay. Unity with Christ mm-hmm. and communion with and God. communion with God. So we're going to eat some food and hang out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No. So unity with Christ, it really is referring to being saved, accepting the good news, being justified in Christ. Okay, so, so like that's born again. Born again, yes, exactly. I don't know why I used all those other terms before using the most spend obvious too much one. Time in the- <laughs> reading <school. laughs> exactly. So unity with Christ, accepting the good news, being born again, and communion with God really just means living in a genuine relationship with Him, with the Creator, having a. Uh, we referred to having a dynamic spiritual life as mm-hmm. one of the categories for resiliency. And that's really kind of what communion with God means. That it's not just kind of, oh, God's up there somewhere and, you know, I pray to him sometimes when I'm having trouble, but he, I don't, he, don't really come, he doesn't really come into play in my life often. It means that uh, you're living in a constant understanding of the reality um, that God is with us always and that we can have a active personal relationship with him all the time so basically if if, if i ask somebody what's your calling they could say in earnest my highest calling is number one to be born again and number mm-hmm. two to live in a relationship with my creator absolutely absolutely that if you know if you know nothing else your truest most important calling above everything else is being saved and being in relationship with the one who saved you. Okay. What about my common calling? So common calling. This also has two parts. So the first is proclaiming the good news, which means sharing the good news, sharing the good sharing news, the gospel. evangelizing. Right. And, it, and what is and, and the good news is simply this that even though we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God, mm-hmm. God sent his son to pay the price for our sin and if we put our faith and our mm-hmm. trust in him, if Absolutely. we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Yes. Amen. And sharing that with other people. So that's the thing you'll hear. And that's, we'll go back to the spiritual gifts inventory thing for just a quick second. That's, <laughs> that's one of my issues uh, of many with spiritual gifts inventories is if somebody gets a low score on evangelism, hmm. it gives them an excuse to be like, well, yeah, see, I'm just not really made to be an evangelist. But here's the thing. You may not hold the spiritual office of evangelist, but Ephesians e- four, yeah, Ephesians four. Uh, but every single Christian is called to evangelize. Okay, um, but uh, in the words of Moses, I don't speak good. <laughs> so, and you know what? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Evangelism may look different. For individual people, you know, one person may be the guy on the street corner, you know, preaching with standing up on the soapbox with a little microphone. Another person may be evangelizing primarily through personal relationships. Everybody's going to do it differently. But the most important part is sharing the good news. And we know it's important because it was, uh, you know, pretty much the last thing that Jesus told us to do before he ascended into heaven 
So we know that it is very, very important. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the the ends of the earth. And of course, the word for witnesses is martyroi, which means martyr. Yeah, that's that's what that kind of crosses over there. Absolutely. Yeah. So so sharing the gospel that is part of our common calling. That if you are a Christian, sharing the gospel is your calling. So just like you can say you're called to unity with Christ and communion with God, you're called to share the good news. Yeah, and I would add. Sharing the gospel has three aspects. It's your life, mm. your love, and your lips. Yeah. Right? And you want to have that's important. And you want to have all three of those going at once. You don't just want to be preaching the gospel but be a mean spirited, you know, guy that acts like a jerk. Right. You, you want to really try to live a life that's consistent with the gospel. And if you're not sure how Christians would live, just should live. Just ask any non-Christian because because they seem, <laughs> they to, seem know, to know, right? Because Satan's whispering in their ear all the time. Look at them not doing what they should be doing. They're hypocrites. Yep. So if you're confused and you don't have a Bible, just ask an unbeliever. They'll tell you how Christians should act. Ain't that the truth. Right. And so then your love. How do you love people? Read 1 Corinthians 13 and meditate on that. What does it mean to keep no account of wrong? What does it mean to not demand your own way? What does it mean to hope all and, 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 to, and, and to, to bear all and things? To bear all things. What does that things. mean? You know, and uh, and that's a great meditation for you. Think you know, thing to think about and grow in, and it will help you learn to love. And of course, we think of Jesus's love as delivering love, mm. a love that delivers people to a better place uh, in their in their relationship with our heavenly Father. So I'll, I will uh, let you continue on. So proclaiming the good news and then a, and then a commitment to good lives. Yes. The second part of common calling is <clears throat> commitment to good lives. And I want to just be very clear. We're not talking uh, about this from a legalistic standpoint. Right. We're not saying in any way that these works are what's going to get you saved because it is by grace through faith, mm-hmm. not of works. Right. <laughs> Less none should boast. Very, very clear there by grace through faith. Key, key component of the faith there. But a commitment to living a godly life, living a holy life, meaning that we should desire. We know we're not going to be perfect, but... Speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, well, I know I'm not going to be perfect. I don't know about you. Uh, But we know that we should be desiring to love our neighbor, to forgive, to be generous, that we should desire to live the way that Jesus tells us to live, that we should be striving for that. So living a good life. Godly life. Okay. A godly life uh, is a life that probably looks like the life Jesus lived. Because Absolutely. he's our archetype, right? He's the mm-hmm. he's the example of what living a godly life looks like, mm-hmm. and it it makes it kind of interesting then that Second uh, uh, Timothy three twelve three twelve says what all who seek to live a godly life will, will be, be persecuted. persecuted. So that's a real <laughs> that's a a real interesting thought there. That if if we are called to live godly lives. And the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Does that mean that as Christians, we're called to be persecuted? That's one of those verses with a promise that nobody wants to claim. I never heard anybody claim that promise. Uh, But it really does mean that. Uh, You know, and persecution is the world acknowledging you as something not of the world. 
Mm-hmm. When you get a splinter in your hand, your body encapsulates that splinter and then it tries to force it out. Right. Right? Yeah, it's trying to expel tries, the splinter. Yeah. Right, tries to expel it. When you become a Christian, you become not of this world. You are no longer of the the kingdom of the world. You are now of the kingdom, kingdom of, of God. God, the kingdom of heaven. You are now a foreign substance and the world is like <laughs> Like coughing up a hairball, it wants you out, and it will persecute you, it will hurt you, it will harm you, because you are different, you don't belong anymore, you're not a part of this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we keep, we keep trying to live like we're still a part of it. Yeah. Paul talks about that, that a little bit. I think that's where a lot of our problems come from. Yeah. From trying to, to be be of the world. Okay, so just being obedient to or living in our common calling. Mm-hmm will result in persecution. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about persecution, you know, we know that there are, it's really a spectrum. It's a scale, right? We know that it's a small percentage of people that face religious restriction and persecution that will be martyred, right? We see that as the far, far end of the scale. But persecution can be as simple as people not wanting to have relationships with you, or at least maybe not having as close of a relationship with you. It can be people, you know, um, not wanting to hire you on jobs or people being awkward around you or not being able to go to certain events because they're on Sundays or any variety of things. Well, and that, that's why when, uh, in our introduction, mm-hmm. uh, when you so eloquently introduced the Harder Way podcast, <laughs> uh, you mentioned that there's 350 million people who live in severe persecution. And we yes. specify that because if you take into consideration all of the degrees of persecution, then you'd have to say every Christian. Right. And if you just went from moderate to, or, or to moderate to, you know, uh, less than, less severe, than severe, you know, you'd have a couple of billion. Right. So it's, it's a, there's a much huger, the much larger numbers. It's, it's bigger, <laughs> um, much yeah. larger numbers. And, um, uh, we want to keep that in mind. So that that 350 million number you hear at the beginning of the podcast is only severe. Yes. Anybody who follows Jesus is going to experience some level of persecution, even if it's as small as some of the things you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And the only way to avoid persecution is to compromise, to not live a godly life. Mm-hmm. And so if our common calling, right, is to share the gospel and that is definitely going to get you persecuted. We know mm-hmm. that for sure. Sure. Uh, and to live a godly life, get you kicked out of a mall. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and we know that's good. We know that living a godly life will get you persecuted. Then we we know that to some degree or another, as Christians, persecution is part of our calling. Yeah. And that's a. It can be a, a, a sobering thought, but it's an important one. So I want to get to our third. Okay. Let me let me just clarify one thing though. But should we seek persecution? That's a really difficult question. I okay, we we want to seek godly lives. Persecution is the result. Can, is one of the results of that. Also, be more like Jesus is a result too, right? Mm-hmm. So, but we don't want to seek persecution for That's, persecution's <clears throat> sake. For persecution's sake, right? Uh, and that was a problem in the earliest part, earliest church, is that mm-hmm. some Christians actually were seeking martyrdom uh, because they were like, "I just want to be out here and go to heaven, man." And they were, it's like, that, right. "No, no, God's got you here. 
He's got you doing stuff here, living your calling here. He'll take you home when it's time to go home. Mm-hmm. Don't be running ahead of him. Yes. Right? And so we shouldn't seek persecution. Do not seek persecution. But understand that if you are living your calling, mm-hmm. your higher calling, and then especially your common calling to live a godly life, you are going to experience some degree of it mm-hmm. as a result. Yes. Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's, to... that's okay. No, that's an important distinction, I would say. So our third type of calling Wait, is... there's more? Yes, there's three, remember? We have our highest, our common, and our specific calling. And so the specific calling, I think, is probably what most people think of Uh, when they hear the word calling. mm. But even with that being said, there's some tweaks to this that I think are hopefully going to make people feel a little bit better and not feel so scared when they hear the word calling. Okay, let's make them feel better. So let's let's make people feel better. So your specific calling... Uh, is going to be really a set of things, maybe one thing, maybe multiple things, that you feel um, that God is calling you specifically to do. And here's the thing. It's a lot more general than you think it is. I think that many people hear calling and they're thinking of a ministry to start or a vocation to be part of, or these really big things. And these really kind of hyper-specific things, like I'm called to go to this town in this state and be part of this church and start a youth ministry or, you know, what have you. So something like that. But your specific calling could be a job. It could be a way of life. It could be a group of people that you've been given access to. It could be a relationship. It could be any and all of the above. If you have a spouse or if you have children, one of your specific callings is the calling to uh, to love and minister to that spouse and to those children. That's your first mission field. That's your first mission field. Mm-hmm. You're, that's the thing. As a, as a spouse or as a parent, other than your, uh, other than your relationship with Christ... That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to say because many people, especially moms, I think, uh, stay-at-home mothers, can get this idea that they're somehow – they somehow don't have a calling or they're not doing something important for the kingdom when they're doing arguably one of the most, if not the most important thing for the kingdom. We mentioned last week the number of people who commit to Christ before the age of Mm -hmm. 18. Yep. Right? And so – and you think about Jewish culture – um, when if a child was born to a, a Jewish father but a Gentile mother, the child they, was considered a Gentile. And they had to convert. Yeah, but if a child was born to a Jewish mother, mm-hmm. he did not have to convert. There's no, there is no uh, overstating the importance of a mother, mm-hmm. the importance of her ministry to her husband and, mm-hmm. to, her and to her children. And uh, you know, I think that we we do need to acknowledge that as a particular calling. Yes, an important one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Raising up a child in the way they should go is a specific, biblical, important calling. Right. And so I think we need to think about calling not just as something that we're created to do, but almost more of who God created us to be. And I think that that's really important. So these pastors that I studied in my dissertation they were really responding to me about their particular calling. Right. Right. So that highest calling, um, you could probably do your highest calling in private. Mm-hmm. But your common calling, 
that's out in the world. You can't. You you have to go out. You have to be a part of the world. You have to share be, the good news. Live a godly life out amongst the world. Absolutely. Yeah. You, there's really no way to get around that. And so, if you know I'm called to do this, then choosing another option, mm-hmm. becoming a crypto Christian, um, becoming one that you know that kind of hides out. Yeah. And choosing keeps your faith choosing the fleeing response. Choosing one of the flee. one of the incorrect responses to persecution. Right. Remember, those are fight, uh, flee, and compromise. And yeah, choosing to flee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just forgetting your identity. Well, fighting and compromising are also, you know, those are also um, not living in your calling. And so uh, that particular calling, I just wanted to emphasize on something that you're, or double back down on something you said about the fact that it doesn't have to be specific. And I just wanted to share my journey to calling. Yeah, for my I think calling. that'd be really helpful for people, because actually. For me, it was the guiding question was always, what would you do if you weren't getting paid? Hmm. And, 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 and so for me, it was teach the Bible, teach ministry. Yeah. And, and I've done a lot of it not getting yeah. paid, most of it, in <laughs> fact. And even when you get paid, you're not really getting paid that much. There's very few guys that get rich doing this. And that's not a complaint. Right. Um, and so. Um, and the ones that do get rich <clears throat> oftentimes have to compromise their own faiths in order yeah, to do that right. and compromise what they're teaching you, in order to do that. But unfortunately, you know, my journey to to knowing my calling mm-hmm. went through being a pastor. Yeah, you know, I had to come to the place of realizing I'm a pastor because of I'm called to teach the Bible, but I'm not called to shepherd a flock. I'm not called to administrate a church. Mm. I'm not. I'm not. Called so that's to a totally that. different thing. And I'm not wired for it. Yeah. I'm not good at it. <laughs> You know, the teaching and stuff I'm good at. I can be, I'm very competent. This other stuff I'm not. So God gifted me, called me to this specific thing. But those other specific callings to being a father, to being a grandfather, to being a friend, Mm -hmm. to being a son, to being a nephew, all of those relationships uh, are are also important particular callings. Don't underestimate the value that God has put into you Mm. and your ability to positively impact the lives of those around you through your calling to them. Mm -hmm. That's really, really important because I think so many of us can get paralyzed, especially younger people when it comes to trying to figure out quote unquote our calling. But I just want to be clear that your specific calling is not something that you have to chase. It's not something that you have to find. And it's not even really something that you have to figure out. It's something that if you're doing your highest calling and you're doing your common calling, God in his providence, in his timing, will make any and all of your specific callings abundantly clear to you in his perfect timing. So what you're saying is do what you're supposed to be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And then trust God, mm-hmm. and He'll He'll t- yeah. let you know what you need to know when you need to know it. Absolutely, it sounds to me like the harder way. It sounds a lot like the harder way. It sounds like choosing to have faith, and it sounds like sometimes when a person may ask you, you know, what's your mission field? What's your calling? What is what's God's call in your life? You may have to say the seven words of faith, which are I, I don't, don't know, know, but the, the Lord, Lord does. Knows. Absolutely. Yeah, and we told you there'd be a variety. I, I noticed said, we, you said no, and I said does. We we made that very clear to all of y'all in the early episodes. Yeah, but that's that's really it. And so there might be a fear. Oh no, God hasn't called me. God hasn't spoken to me. God hasn't directed or me. Or I missed it. Or I missed mm-hmm. it. You didn't miss it. God has a call, a high call, 
for you in your relationship with him. Mm -hmm. God has a common call to share him and to live life like, to share the message of salvation and to live life like Jesus. And God has a particular calling. It's revealed through your relationships and the other specifics will be revealed in time. The founder of our ministry, he did not receive the call to this ministry until he was over 40 years old. Wow. Yeah, yeah, which seems really old when you're 20, but when you're older than that, it doesn't seem very <laughs> old at all. You're like, hey, I was still a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so be patient, trust the Lord, operate in your highest calling, operate in your common calling, trust God to reveal your particular calling. Don't be afraid to not know. Walk in faith, trust the Lord. That's the harder way. Amen. We Well, we hope that this episode has encouraged all of you out there to walk out your calling in Christ. And we will talk to you next week. Uh, so be blessed, trust in the Lord, and live in your calling. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Harder Way Podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to The Harder Way Podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.